0: Good morning. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Lord, we love you and we thank you um, for milestones and for joyous celebrations. Uh, Lord, um, where we've had many things taken from us this year, uh, not everything can be taken, Lord. And everything that is wrapped up in our faith and our hope in you, Lord, is eternal, um, Our very breath is in your hands, Lord Jesus. So we praise you for that reality today. We pray for open hearts. We pray um, for your goodness uh, to settle deep into our spirits this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to see you here today. Um, Have you ever felt like a new person? Have you ever been able to describe yourself? I just feel like a new person today. I remember my mom telling me back years ago, uh, she was telling me a story of the first and maybe only time she went to a chiropractor, and she walked out and said, I felt like a new person. Um, I've had that experience uh, in chiropractors as well, as Ben can attest to here, Um, and getting over a back injury this week, I would welcome it again, so... Um, I remember also a season of my life where I was just down, you know, my spirit was darkened, I was depressed, and that's around the time that God called me into seminary, and he called me out of that rut, and he began to wake me up and show me what it meant to live and to hope and to dream again, and that certainly felt like being a new person, or maybe it's just a really good night of sleep. Um, I don't know how many of us have not been getting good nights of sleep this year, but it feels like... One in ten might be a really good night of sleep. Um, but when that happens, you wake up feeling fresh, like a new person. So what is something in your life that resonates with that? What, what has happened in your life or what experience has caused you to open your eyes and say, I feel like a new person? Or if you can't think of anything right now, maybe you're feeling that heaviness. Maybe you're feeling that lack of hope or that darkness Uh, Maybe you just simply have the desire to feel new again, and that's a good place to be too. There's been so much loss and lost expectations and course changes this year in so many different arenas in our lives. But I think Jesus wants us to have that hope and that newness. He wants us to experience New life. He wants us to be new people. And I think that the message from Romans today as we dig into chapter 5 is one that can rekindle this and remind each of us about this newness and this goodness that our Lord Jesus has to offer us. It can strengthen us and it can shore up our foundation of faith. And if we can't relate to that right now, if we're not feeling that hope, my hope is that Paul's words can stir this up in you. That you can see a light at the end of the tunnel because of God's goodness and righteousness in Christ Jesus. So I want to preach through the text this morning. We're in Romans chapter 5. Uh, the words will be on the screen, and you're welcome to follow along in your own Bible if you brought that as well. So starting with verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So Paul's arguments here kind of seem a little bit circular at times throughout this second half of Romans 5, but here we see that Paul is making sure that we are all clear on the fact, once again, that all have sinned. Just like he said in chapter 3, perhaps there was a belief in this church in Rome that those who lived between Adam and between the law being given to Moses somehow were sinless because the law hadn't yet been given, to point out they're wrong, right? Right? But Paul isn't saying that. He's saying that Adam sinned, and he failed. I read recently a stat that over 50% of confessing Christians, self-identified Christians in the Western world, believe that people are basically good when it boils down to it. Paul would disagree. The law would disagree. All have sinned because of this, our relationship with God and with his goodness, and God's goodness is how we measure our goodness, right? We don't get to make up the rules for goodness. God is good. That relationship with God and his goodness has been fractured. It's been skewed. And sin has dampened it, and it's manipulated it. If we believe deep down inside that we're inherently good, we think we can earn our salvation. Paul believes that the sin goes so deep that Everyone is affected, and everyone has a need for Jesus Christ in their life. And then this death that he's talking about is the result of this. We have a physical death. It was the result of sin that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden so that they could no longer eat from the tree of life. Death became a part of this brokenness, of this new reality for us. And then spiritual death, too, is a result of sin and Paul here, in these first couple of verses, also clarifies that the absence of the law given did not mean that there was no sin. Sin can exist even if it's undefined, right? Sin exists in our lives in ways that we have not been able to define, and humanity is pretty good at making up new ways of dishonoring God. We often shy away from labeling something as sin because it's easier to keep it undefined. But the law lays that out for us. Avoiding God's word on an issue does not redefine our behavior in relationship to that God's word. I think that we should be willing and we should be open to naming the sin in our own lives and in our own community because then God's grace can get to work on that. We shouldn't leave it ambiguous. So sin can exist even if it's undefined. Sin entered the world through Adam when Adam and Eve broke a direct command of God in the garden. And then Moses was this conduit for God's law to be explained and clarified and drawn out for people. And humanity quickly got on breaking that too and turning their back time and time from the Lord. So the importance and the place of the law to Paul here and to his message is vital because it does two things. Number one, it proves not only humanity's need for Jesus, but it also proves Jesus' righteousness when you compare his life to the law. He is the one who fulfilled it, who lived the sinless life. And that validates his sacrifice for our sins. So the law is very much important to Paul, and it's important to us as well. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Paul here is contrasting the gift with the trespass or the sin, right? But he doesn't want us to think that they're just opposites. All that comes from sin is negative. All that results from sin is negative, because it's contrary to God's perfect life for us. But in the gift, we have a God who takes the initiative that comes to humanity in its brokenness, in its ruined state, and not only deals with the sin, but makes humanity through his grace even better than Adam was to begin with. For your life and for mine, this means that we not only find forgiveness and absolution for our sins in Christ Jesus, but we find that God invites us to be sanctified, to become more holy, more and more like Jesus himself, which is certainly an upgrade from Adam's reality before sin entered the world. We can experience God's presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that Adam couldn't. Adam had God walking in the garden with him. Yes, we have Christ in us, working through us. In our sin, we're only human, right? But in Christ, something supernatural happens. We get to become more than the original human. We get to become more. We are restored, and then we're invited onto this journey of true life in Christ Jesus. And it's by Jesus' righteousness, it's by his blood that that is made possible, Verse 18, Paul continues, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. In other words here, One trespass, the trespass, the sin of Adam and Eve, opened the door for all of humanity to experience sin and all have except Christ. And then the one act of righteousness by Jesus Christ makes all who belong in him justified. One act opened the door for millions, billions of acts that were contrary to God's life for us, but the one act of the righteousness of Jesus Christ makes a way for us to be justified. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Christ has done here, nobody else can do. Jesus' one act of righteousness was enough. and He's the only one who could do that. Continuing with verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So these last couple of verses from our section today are interesting. Um. One of my study Bibles pointed out the fact that a typical Jewish belief in the time of Paul was that if you had more law in your life, you had more life in your life. They had a saying, a proverb, the more Torah, the more life. The more law, the more life. Paul here says it's actually the opposite. The law brought clarity where there used to be murkiness. The law brought absolutes where there used to be relativism. The law pointed out now willful trespass instead of sins from ignorance. Now that sin was defined and humanity was given that and they still chose their own past, they still chose to worship idols, Paul says that the presence of the law here actually increases sin and increases our own awareness of our sin. It helps us to become aware. And why is that important? Because the grace of God abounds through Jesus Christ in the midst of it all. And not just the grace abounding over sins, but the grace that doesn't leave us there. The grace uh, that helps us in our lives in Christ to be even more glorious than the life of Adam before sin entering the world. So there's a couple main thoughts I think we can summarize in this section. The first is that this is a really big picture view. Paul zooms out to the timeline and he goes from creation all the way up to Jesus. And he puts in the place of the law, and he puts in the place of Jesus Christ, and why that righteousness of Christ was so important. He gives us a perspective, and he gives this church in Rome a perspective. The promises and the covenant to Abraham have been fulfilled through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, just as God intended. And in this journey, Paul, for us and for his readers, continues to drive the point that we are completely and utterly helpless to save ourselves. We are not inherently good. Sure, we are made in God's image, but sin corrupts, sin breaks, and Jesus Christ restores and saves. God's grace is sufficient. Everywhere where sin is too great, God's grace is sufficient. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul writes, But he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient for you and for me and for all who put their faith in Christ. Another overview, another point here, is that what God has done through Christ is far more than just putting humanity back together the way it was. Jesus may be known as the second Adam by many, but he's far more than just humanity put back the way it was. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul paints a great picture of this contrast. He says, The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We get to be Adam and we get to be Jesus. That's pretty incredible, right? There is more going on in Christ than there was in Adam something heavenly, something divine. And because of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as followers of Jesus, we get to experience both. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty hopeful because we know, most of us probably know, that we, we just don't get it done without Christ in our lives. We don't have a whole lot of hope in the face of a year like 2020 without Christ in our lives. In Christ, we experience a redemption and an invitation that makes our life in Christ even more special and astounding than the life of Adam and Eve prior to sin entering the world. Jesus was not just the sinless version of Adam. Jesus was, is, and will always be the Son of God and the resurrection and the life to all who believe. It's not like God took the house that sin broke and put it back together. He put it together better. He transformed it into something glorious and heavenly, and that is his people and that is his church. That is you and that is me in Christ. We not only find the forgiveness of a ruined life, we find restoration and the promise of life everlasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. So as we move into this Advent season, I think this is timely. This worked out really well on our calendar here. Let's keep these things in our hearts and in our minds. What was Jesus the answer to 2,000 years ago? All of this law, all of this condemnation, all of our tendency as humans to stray away from God. As we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this year, let us remember the pain and the tension of God's faithful people that they lived in for hundreds of years without hearing from a prophet waiting for the promised Messiah to come. Let us remember the pain of the sin of Adam and how it fractured his relationship and all of humanity's relationship with our Father in heaven. Let us remember the pain in our own lives and how much we truly need the Savior to come. And let us remember the, the anticipation for the birth of Christ 2,000 years ago. It walks hand in hand with our anticipation for becoming one with Christ now and eternally. Those aren't two separate realities. The realized baby in a manger and what that would mean for humanity is a truth directly and intimately that correlates with your life and with mine. The word became flesh. True life became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, God dwells in us today through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And wherever we're at today, I felt like we just needed a simple reminder. In the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Jesus loves you perfectly. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter how many times you've turned your back on God or your family or the church, He loves you still. It's in His nature. Let us acknowledge and accept that love and find peace in the arms of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that our sin is great, but we confess that your love is greater, your grace is greater. Who are we, Lord, that we deserve a place at your table? a place in your family, co-heirs in the kingdom of God. Lord, stir up the hope in our spirits, in our hearts, that that truth, that reality should stir up in us. Where the flame has dwindled or gone out, Lord, I pray that you would rekindle that flame in our hearts for your truth, for your gospel, and for the life that Jesus Christ offers freely to those who believe. And Lord, may this hope compel us into action. We're in a world that desperately needs hope and looks in many of the wrong places. As your people, Lord, help us to show people where to find true hope, everlasting hope in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we give thanks for many things this week, let that be at the top of our list. And if it's not on our list, Lord, I pray that it would become our list. May we find our thanksgiving, our hope, and our life in Christ and in Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.